Oh, we look at the world around us and we see big problems. There are big problems everywhere in our personal lives, in our, in our national and worldwide life. Big problems. And today we come to see a bigger God. A God that is bigger than anything we face in our personal lives. Anything we face as a nation. Anything we face as a world. And we come today to express once again that we believe you're real. That we love you. And that we trust you with our whole hearts. And when it seems like the whole world around us is crumbling down, we know the truth. Our God is bigger. He is in control. He is worthy of our trust in our lives. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Well, it's been a bit. And some of you are looking going, what? Yeah, right. So just explain for those of you that have missed it. Uh, I don't know, it was just a few days before Green Lake. I went to the back of the property to check on our neighbor's detention pond. It flows over into our wetland, trying to figure out some things back there. It was raining. I slipped, I fell, landed on my back, stood up. My arm wasn't working quite right. Come to find out after going through the routine of physical therapy and everything else that I had a pretty severe tear in my rotator cuff. My bicep tendon was just wobbling all over the place. So three weeks ago, Tuesday, they went in and did a nice fix on all of that. And I can tell you that I am going through one of the most painful things I've gone through in a lot, my life. And this is from a guy who's broken a leg. So, I mean, this is just plain no fun. And I know all you, you know, God has a million lessons for me and I'm learning all million. Believe me, it's been, it's been a blast. So three more weeks of this. So one of the things we're going to do on Sunday morning is something real quick. We're going to do a shirt check. Is there anything about my shirt right now that is going to drive you crazy for the entirety of this service? Is it straight? Is it all working? Because this thing just bundles up my clothing in weird ways, and I want you to hear the Word of God and not be playing designer this morning with, you know, with what's going on with my clothing. So uh, go back a little further than that. You know, it's been, it's been a long, hard trek since COVID. There's been so much going on at our church uh, so much going on, opportunities like LifeWise and others. And somewhere in the middle of the summer, I said, you know what, I just need a little bit of time to not talk. Still going to do the, all the other stuff, but I need some time to not talk, some time to listen, to hear what God has to say instead of just continuing to plow forward. And so I'm incredibly grateful uh, that Brian stepped in for the three weeks that he did. John stepped in for the weeks that he did. And here's what I love. I've, I've watched all the things that they've, they've preached along the way. And both of them, both of them are avid baseball lovers. They're just, you know, they're very into baseball. So they're referring to themselves as pinch hitters and, you know, coming off the bench and everything else. And worried that they're not going to do as great as the starter. Hey, the starter's injured anyway, but who cares? Uh, the bottom line is I'm, I'm grateful that when these guys come to speak, we don't have a drop-off. We're still learning from the Word of God. And I'll tell you what, last week in particular, I was supposed to speak last week, but I'll tell you what, Norco has a way of taking my brain and making it go, woo, to weird bad places. So anyway, I, I hadn't slept well, and John said he'd go ahead and preach. And everything I heard about Sunday, people were genuinely moved. And I'm grateful again for the messages that were delivered during that time. So having not talked for a bit, I feel like a gusher. I just have all these things I want to say. And, and, I, and I promise you, I promise you there's going to be some restraint today. I won't say all of it today, 
But uh, as, we go, as we go to our, um, our announcements for the week, you get this weekend update all the time. I want to encourage you, if you're not receiving it, get it. It's really, really easy. You go to the info hub, and they'll be glad to help you set it up. There are places on our website that you can get the link. It comes to you every Friday, sometimes on Saturday instead of Friday, but gives you the, the broadest pieces of the announcements of what's coming up. And we do have some important things coming up here. Uh, the, for, the, for example, we have a, a Christmas play that's going to be happening in, at Christmas time, but the practice and the rehearsals and the auditions start now. So, so this coming week, there are auditions, all kinds of details in there that you can go ahead and get hooked in on. Or the fact that our, our students are going to be having a great time with a bonfire and a serve coming up. The fact that we're going to be having a, a parents' night now out that you can either choose to um, be a part of bringing your kids and dropping them off and having a night out, or you can go ahead and serve in that time and give someone else the break that they need for that particular evening. So, so many things going on. Make sure you go ahead and read those, get signed up for what you need to get signed up for. It's just a, a really, I think, a fun, incredible season going on in our church. Uh, groups are starting, other things along the way that you'll want to jump in on. One of the things that I want to zero in on this morning, um, it was a year ago now that, uh, that we were exposed for the first time to the concept of, of LifeWise, LifeWise Academy. This opportunity, and it's an opportunity that I had as a little kid. When, when, when I was six going on seven, my family was still going to the Catholic Church, and so uh, I went to CCD, and they would do an early school release. So here I am in first grade, and I get out of that last hour of school to go to someone's house and learn about God. And I always wondered, why don't Protestants do that? Why is that just a Catholic thing? Why don't Protestants do that? And uh, as we uh, looked at the opportunities that exist, we come to find out, wow, there's a law that says you're allowed to have children released from school in order to come and receive religious education and character education. And, um, and it, we, we found out about LifeWise Academy, which is a, it's, it's a, it's a totally separate uh, entity than our church. This isn't like just a program of our church. This is a totally separate entity, has its own board, its own, its own director, its own teachers. Uh, it can ultimately have its own space, its own place to meet. But we're privileged uh, not only to be the ones that found out about it, but to really be the church that's, that's got two shoulders behind this thing launching it. There are other churches that have heard about it, and they're providing support, to, support as well. But we really want to make sure that this becomes an effective, uh, just a, a permanent part of what's going on in this community here in Shanahan. So we're providing space at our church three days a week for classes to happen. Kindergarten meets on Tuesday, first grade meets on Wednesday, second grade meets on Thursday, and they're coming on over here and enjoying that. Uh, and and our, our teachers had their very first week of instruction this week. And I loved, I loved getting the reports and seeing the pictures of what was happening with those classes. And you know, the reality is, hey, just like anything, it's starting, it's starting small. There aren't hundreds of kids in every room. But, but it's giving us that opportunity to get our feet under us and make sure that we have a solid start moving forward. 
So the kids that are coming to LifeWise are coming from Galloway. Galloway isn't very far away. If you were to go out the driveway, turn that way, go into, I think, the second street on down, you'd find Galloway School. And, uh, you know, you look at it, we're close enough that transporting the kids from, from there to here is not a great distance. In fact, some might wonder, why don't they just walk? Hey, have you ever walked with a kindergartner? Good luck. But anyway, um, we, we, we have to work on how do we transport them from one place to another? And do it in such a way that, like, right now, there isn't a huge... So you noticed, huh? Of course you did. Everybody's noticing. Wow, dryness. Oh, my goodness. I promise not to spill that in the keys, but if I do, Shelly will pay for it. Um, <clears throat> we've been working on how do you provide transportation from one place to the other, realizing right now that you know, we don't need space for, for 60 kids to come over at once but also dreaming that someday we'll have 60 kids coming over at once. And so a lot of the, a lot of the LifeWise academies have, have a bus. They have a bus that gets them from one place to the other. They, they paint it in LifeWise red, which, you know, you might wonder why. Well, it's because legally we can't have a, a yellow school bus out there. If it's not a school bus, you're not allowed to have a yellow school bus. You've got to paint a different color. So the LifeWise red, it's got the big LifeWise logo on it, the LifeWise words along the side, when I first heard about this whole bus concept, it's like, ah, yeah, there are buses everywhere. Just go buy one, get it up, fix, fix it up, you'll be good to go. Well, I don't know if you've noticed, but um, the economy kind of stinks, right? <laughs> and things that used to be easy to buy aren't as easy to buy as they used to be. And people are telling us, yeah, you'll, you'll be able to buy a bus for 5000 bucks, fix it up a little bit, get it wrapped, you'll be, you'll be good to go, 25000 bucks. Well like everything, prices have doubled. And we have looked and looked and looked. And I'll tell you what, we've got, we've got more of an education on buses than we ever wanted in our lives. I mean, I didn't care about knowing about buses. But we can, Kim is a pro. She can tell you the engines, the brakes. I mean, she's rattling this stuff up. I'm like, who are you? You know, she's got this thing figured. So finally, 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 after this very long search, uh, we got in contact with somebody through the Lardies, and this fellow helped us look for a bus with a gas engine instead of a diesel engine, all these different parts. And we finally, finally, finally got a chance to look at the bus this week and say, that's the one. That's the one. So, great news. We moved along with the bus, but like I said, now it costs much more than it did before. And um, one piece that I want you to know about, we decided as a leadership team, that we wanted to say to LifeWise, our church, through funds that we have been blessed with through your giving, our church wants to provide half of the funding for the bus. So we're making sure half of the funding is taken care of right off the top, okay? And the bus is going to cost $53,000. It's a lot of money, a lot of money. And you think, why don't we get 15 passenger vans? Because they cost $80,000 right now, believe it or not. It's disgusting. So we got it to there, and LifeWise as an organization is fantastic about, for their academies, they will provide funding for the bus. No interest, but it does come at a fee, okay? The more that we can get put toward the bus now, the less will be taken out of that money in the future, okay? 
Your money, our money is worth more now than it is in the future. So part of what we're doing as a church is saying, this, this half, we want to pay that as a down payment now before there's any talk of a loan. Further, anything that those of us as individuals decide to give now will help to reduce that overall amount and will go directly toward the bus instead of going through LifeWise back to the bus and losing some of its value. So if you've been looking for, you know, you just had like this extra pile of cash laying around going, I don't want to do with this. Uh, maybe M&Ms, I don't know. What am I going to do with this? You've been looking for a cause to get behind. I want to encourage you in the next couple of weeks, get behind paying off as much of this bus as we possibly can. I don't normally do this, but I just want, I want you to know as an example, our family's giving $1,000 toward the bus, Okay. I don't say that to go, look what I've done. I say that to say, this is important. It's important. And so if you're in a place that you can provide for that, you can either write a check or do cash and put it in the black box at the back, write bus on it. We'll know what that, I mean, there aren't many things that mean bus, you know what I mean? So we'll know what that means. Or if you want to, uh, you can give through online giving and just give it toward benevolence. And we know all benevolence right now is going toward the bus. So you know our church. You know that we don't do every Sunday. Here's the project of the week. Here's what we need to give toward or whatever. Uh, we, we bring these things forth when there is a real need and it's really important. Couldn't be more important. The more that can be given now, the better off we are in the long run. So uh, LifeWise is its own entity, and yet you know full well our heart is fully behind this ministry. We look forward to the way that we're going to be able to make disciples of first, second, and third graders, and hopefully many, many more grades in years to come. So uh, let's pray together, and then we're going to go to a video. Father God, I'm grateful for what happened this week at our church, and I pray now uh, that you will, you will move us to do every week, everything we can to support this great work that you are doing in our community. We love you. We thank you for dropping this in our laps, a discipling opportunity dropped in our laps. Thank you. Thank you ever so much. How we love you, God, who is bigger, greater, stronger than any problem or challenge we have ever faced. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I've done a lot of talking, and now I'm going to do a lot more with the sermon, so I'm going to give you a little mental break. Watch this great commercial. What is a disciple? And is it possible to be a Christian without being one? You might not know it, but you are a disciple. It's just a matter of who you're a disciple of. Each one of us is modeling our lives after someone. So who do you follow? What do you listen to? What vision of the good life is capturing your heart? There's no shortage of roads to destruction. But there is one that leads to eternal life. Jesus is calling you down this path, saying, follow me. To be his disciple means to be an apprentice of Jesus, to model your life after him, to be like him. No matter who you are, where you live, what you do, you can live like Jesus, shining his light to your family, to your community, and your workplace. Discipleship is how his kingdom comes. It's how his will is done, here as it is in heaven. 
but it requires a decision. Will you follow him? Will you learn from him? Will you let him guide your life, your whole life, to be shaped in his image? Are you trying to be a Christian without being a disciple? The question and the invitation is right in front of you. Are you a disciple? This little guy is nine months old tomorrow. He gets to come to our house several days a week, and we're learning more and more about him all the time. He cut two more teeth this week, so now he's got two on the bottom, two on the top. So you don't put your finger in there or you will lose it. But we've seen this little habit in Emmett's life that we're starting to think is a revelation of his future career. I don't know that he's going to be a preacher. I think he's going to be a mechanic. Because Emmett has this thing about getting under things and fixing them, even, even at nine months old. He'll get under his saucer. I mean, forget being in the saucer. He likes being under the saucer. He likes being under there. And there's another little weird habit he has. Maybe those of you that have nine months old will affirm this. I don't remember when my kids were that age, but his hands and feet are equally effective at working. He'll, he'll read a book with both his hands and feet, and he does his repair jobs with both his hands and feet. He gets under there and fiddles and just fixes things up. He's even got his little gas pump all ready to go. I, I, I really, I think the kid is screaming, future mechanic. He's ready to get in there and work on the car. And I'm glad because... I know and understand cars enough to know, you know, put the gas here. Hey, oil is nice. Those little filters like to be changed every once in a while. But beyond that, I'm not, I'm not really, really like into cars. In fact, I'm fascinated by those of you who are really, really into cars. You go to the car shows and you just, you understand everything that's going on about them. And I, and I really, there are times that I would just like to crawl into your brain and understand what, what the fascination is, what it is that you see that I'm totally missing. Because for me, a car is about, I want to get up in the morning, it starts, it gets me there, I can turn it off, and it, it's transportation and that's it. But for some of you, car Cars are a true fascination. Uh, you love the old cars, these things that were built long, long time ago, and you open the hood and you go, oh my word, look at how little they used to have under a hood, right? Or, or, or maybe you're just into like bizarre cars, cars that are shaped in weird ways and they're just, they're kind of fascinating to you. Or you're into the sports cars, the fancy cars. Maybe it's even about the futuristic cars. Where's this thing going? When are we going to be flying, finally flying around like the Jetsons? You're into these cars, but here's what I've found with most car people. As much as they're fascinated about what's going on all around the car, they want to know what's under the hood. That's what matters to them. They want to, they want to know the, how this thing functions, how it operates, what's happening there. I had kind of a fun time. I, 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 I typed in on Google, car, what's under the hood? I wondered what I'd find there. I wish my car looked like this. 
I wish that when I opened the hood, there were little fingers pointing. There's the washer, there's the oil, there's the this, there's the that. How convenient that would be. Somebody needs to invent this. But then there were some things that were found under hoods that don't belong under the hood at all, like 200 walnuts put there by a squirrel. I don't know how long that car sat there, but 200 walnuts? Another squirrel had the idea of just collecting pine cones Pine cones, pine cones, pine cones loaded into that car. I hope they didn't start it up. I suspect it would have been a disaster. And then, aren't you thankful you don't live in Florida? Oh, my word. Imagining open the car to find your, your friendly neighborhood python has decided it just wants a warm place to rest. There are things you hope that are under the, under the hood. A certain amount of power, a certain amount of parts. I need an alternator, I need a battery, I need oil. And there are things you don't want under the hood at all. Well, the same is true for a church. There are things you want under the hood, things that make it operate, things that make it function well, and there are pine cones, walnuts, and snakes that you're like, we don't want that under the hood at all. Perhaps you've been coming to, to Southfield for for a little bit. You've come since COVID or even just this past year, maybe just in this past couple of months. And, and you've been looking and, you know, you're liking what you're seeing. You like what you see coming from up here. You're into the music. You like what's going on in the hallway. You're thrilled with what's happening with your kids or with your students. Uh, you checked out day camp. There are pieces that you're just like, wow, I really like this. But I, but I wonder what, what makes this operate? What makes this function? What's this place all about? What's under the Southfield hood? What makes this place work the way it does? And, and, and you might be asking something like this. You're, you're asking, who, who, who are these people? And, and what matters to them? What's important? Why am I seeing what I'm seeing? If a car goes fast, I look under the hood and I'm able to discover why it's going fast. If a car isn't working, I'm able to look under the hood and figure out why it's not working. What's under the Southfield hood? Well, I'll tell you what. For us, there is one passage of Scripture that drives us. Without this passage of Scripture, I don't know that we can call ourselves a church. You can, put the, you can put the label out there, you can put the sign out there, but I don't know that you're really functioning as a church if you are not buying into and believing with your whole heart, Matthew 28, 19 to 20, known as the Great Commission. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and you can be sure of this. I, Jesus, will be with you always to the very end of the age. If you're a part of one of our, our welcome classes, whatever we've labeled it along the way in the years, uh, you know that one of the things I like to do is take this passage and ask you to circle or underline all the action words you see. What are the actions? What are the verbs? What are the actions going on in this passage? And people mark words like go and make and baptizing and teaching and obey. Those are, all, those are all actions that are taking place in this particular passage coming from the lips of Jesus. I love this, that Jesus says, you don't need a committee to meet and figure out your mission. You don't, you don't need a study group to gather and say, what's this church going to be all about? He makes it clear. This is the mission of the church of Jesus Christ. 
Go and make disciples of all nations. So one of the things that I love about this is as you go back to the original language, you find that for all the action taking place there, there's only one verb. There's only one verb, and that is make disciples. Not even just make, but make disciples. In Greek, that's actually make disciples is, is one word, methetao, methetao. Jesus says, this, this is what you're supposed to be all about as a believer of Jesus and as a collective believe, a collection of believers known as a church. You're to be about making disciples. Nothing else matters. This is the mission of the church. Everything else is walnuts, acorns, and snakes. This is the mission of the church. Make disciples. And so we have to ask the question, I think it's legit, what is a disciple? And how do we make them? And so I want to start with what is a disciple. We saw a little bit in the video about them talking about what a disciple is. Perhaps you've watched The Chosen and you've seen the beautiful interaction being depicted between Jesus and his disciples. Imagine just signing up to live with and follow a teacher. Not just attend classes once a week or watch the video, but to actually live with a teacher and learn from them along the way. This is, this is the process of discipleship. And what we find in that is we're looking at that, and even as we look at classic definitions of disciple, a disciple is a student, someone who, who adheres to the teachings of another, a learner. And what we know is that you can be a disciple of Jesus. You can also you can be a disciple of Karl Marx. You can be a disciple of Charles Darwin. You can be a disciple of Saul Linsky. You can be a disciple of a lot of people. You can be a person who listens to their teachings and says, I want to adopt their teaching. You're a student of that particular person. But Jesus helps us to understand that discipleship is about more than being a student. I was a student of a lot of teachers in college, in seminary, a student of a lot of teachers, and I would not necessarily call myself a disciple of those people. Because there's more going on in discipleship than just being a student. Jesus says in Mark 1, 17 and 18, to, the disciple, to two men, to Peter and Andrew, brothers, come follow me, and I'm going to show you how to fish for people. And I love verse 18. At once, they dropped their nets, and they followed him. There was no debating, no questioning. They gave up the thing they do for a full-time living and said, I am going to be a follower of Jesus. You see, a disciple is far more than a student. A discipler is a follower. And a follower is an imitator. I'm loving this about having a little baby around the house again, making noises and watching him go, how does that work? And then he tries it out. He loves to, if you see Emmett today, go. He'll start imitating, trying to figure out what's the parent, what's the grandparent, what's the person doing and imitating it. That's, that's a disciple. A disciple is an imitator. Someone who takes up the ways of someone else. Not just the teaching of someone else, but the actual ways of someone else. A disciple is someone who learns from Jesus and lives like Jesus. That's a disciple. So if you are a disciple of Jesus, you're not just a student. You, you've committed to being a follower. You've committed to imitating him. You've committed to being like him. And if you're involved in discipling other people, you're helping them to be not just students, not just to know facts, but to be a follower, 
a follower of Jesus. So, the next question then is this. How do we make them? Go into all the world and make disciples. How do we do that? How does that take place? Go back to Matthew 28 again. Have those underlined words, make disciple is the verb. And then, and then these other action words, they tell us how it happens. He says, therefore, go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. So, so let's look at, at the process Jesus talks about. He begins by saying, I want you to go. And we've talked about this many times. And I hope by now, if I were to ask you, you'd, you'd be able to reflexively give this answer. That this go is not, you, you get on a plane and, and go to Africa and make disciples or go to Australia and make disciples. It literally means whatever you're doing, wherever you're doing it, make disciples. You're a parent of two-year-old, guess what? You're a discipler. You have a little disciple in your house. You're a teacher at school, guess what? You're a discipler. You have coworkers at work, guess what? You have the potential of making disciples. Wherever you're going, whatever you're doing, anytime, because you are a devoted Christ follower, you have the privilege of influencing other people to become disciples. And how does that take place? Well, he says, I want you to baptize them. Baptism is the picture of being, being brought into the family of God. Obviously, you become a believer by trusting in Jesus as the forgiver of your sin and the leader of your life. And the first thing we obey him with is to say, and now I'm ready to, to align myself with Jesus publicly. So, so baptizing is bringing them into the family of faith. I love that we are constantly baptizing people. It was so fun just a few weeks ago to see 16 people get baptized. We had people get baptized in the spring. We have a few more that are going to be going next week. People are getting baptized all the time. They're, they've become believers and they're aligning themselves with the family of God. That's discipleship. And then he says, I want you to teach them. But I love that he doesn't say teach them, comma, or teach them, period. He says, I want you to teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. It's not enough to know the facts. James is really clear in the Bible. James says <laughs> we deceive ourselves when we know what the Word says, but we don't do what the Word says. He says discipleship is not just a person who's memorized all the facts of what's going to happen in prophecy or every Levitical law. I know it. A disciple is a person who takes what they learn and says, and now I will apply it to my life. So what are we doing when we're raising up disciples? We're not, just, we're not just filling in facts in a booklet, but we're challenging people to transform. We're challenging them to say, here's where you are now, and Jesus wants you to look like this. And they're challenging us to transform. These relationships are challenging relationships in which we are truly transformed. A discipler, so let's say you decide, I want to disciple people. I don't want to just be a disciple, but I want to be a person who's bringing disciples into the family of faith. I want to see people growing up in Jesus. A disciple maker has a threefold focus. You don't have to worry about what's, what's the perfect curriculum for discipleship. What's, what's the best book? Who's the, who's the best publishing house? There's a threefold focus that we work on. The focus is God, our family, and the world. 
If I'm helping someone to grow in their faith, or if you're helping me to grow in my faith, we need to focus on God, the family, and the world. Let's start with God. The question is, how does a disciple relate to God? And by God, I'm saying God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. How does a disciple relate to God? And one of the prime things that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are teaching us from our first moment of breath until our dying breath is dependence. I am completely, totally, and utterly dependent on God. This is teaching me some lessons in dependence that I don't particularly appreciate. Um, For six weeks, I'm not allowed to drive. That means Miss Daisy is driving me. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't like saying to my busy wife, I need to go here, I need to go there. Would you drive me? She's more than willing to do it. But I hate it. I hate asking her to take the time out of her day to take me somewhere. I get into the car, I can't put on my own seatbelt. She puts on my belt. I'm waiting for her to get a little Kleenex and just give me a little nose wipe too or, you know, some of this stuff. Dependence, dependence. God is teaching us throughout the entirety of our lives we are totally and completely dependent on him. Don't believe it? Jesus lays out the curriculum for a Christ follower in Matthew chapter 5, known as the Sermon on the Mount. He sees a crowd, he sits them down, he opens his mouth, and what's the first thing he says? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's it's not a statement on earthly poverty. He's not saying, congratulations, you owe money to the bank, yours is the kingdom of heaven. He's saying, a believer, a Christ follower, a disciple is a person who opens up their spiritual checkbook and says, I have nothing. I am bankrupt. God didn't look at us and go, wow, that guy's got some skills. I need him in the family. He could help me out. God looks at you and me and says, you have nothing. I am all you need. We declare bankruptcy. We declare spiritual bankruptcy. I have nothing to offer God. I'm completely dependent on him. He goes further in the Sermon on the Mount and gives us this beautiful prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day a month's worth of wages. (laughs) Give us this day our daily bread. You know, I've been using a couple of different uh, prayer apps and whatever as guides. And one of them is always praying for people who are in poverty in the world. And I got to admit to you, when I hear that, I'm like, I think people in poverty are in a much better place than people in America. We have so much, we don't think we need God. We don't pray for daily bread. We have three freezers at our house. I have enough pork to last me a lifetime. We don't need daily bread. Oh, yeah, we do. We're starving to death spiritually, and we don't even know it dependence. He goes on, chapter 6, he says, don't be anxious about your life, what you'll drink, what you'll wear, what you put on your body. Life is more than food. Body is more than clothing. Look at the birds. God takes care of the birds. 
You think you're taking care of the birds because you got a feeder. God's taking care of the birds. He says, I care for them. Don't you think I care about you? You can't even worry enough to add an hour to your life. You're completely dependent on me, God says. Why are you anxious? Look at the flowers. I do that. I do all of this. Don't you think I care more about you, you of little faith, Jesus says. He says, don't be anxious, saying, what will you eat? What will you drink? He says, no, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. You know how that whole verse can be summed up? Dependence. He's saying, would you finally just depend on me? And it's not just the teaching of Jesus, it's the action of Jesus. Mark 1.35, we're not very far into the gospel. What does he do? Jesus, God, goes off to pray by himself. Don't, don't you think he could have kind of foregone prayer while he was on earth? He's God. He could have said, yeah, I'm just going to have a little conversation with me right now. I'll be good. <laughs> he depended on the Father while he was on this earth. He was connected to him. So part of what we teach people in dependence is not just, not just that you are dependent in, in the teaching, but you're also dependent in action. We need to spend time with God all the time, and if we're not, we're starving to death. Jesus goes on to say, you need to be dependent on me. He says, the Father has this beautiful vine, and I am the vine, and you are the branches, and you got to abide in me, because if you get cut off, you can't bear any fruit. And then he has verse 5, one of the most humbling verses in all of Scripture, I think. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And the American church thinks, well, we can do a lot without God. It's just the special stuff we need him for. We can do nothing apart from Jesus. We are dependent on him. He, Jesus goes on to say, you're dependent on the Father, you're dependent on Jesus, you're also dependent on the Spirit. He says, I've got to get out of here so that the Spirit can come. And when the Spirit comes, the Spirit is going to fill you to do things you'll never dream you could do. You're going to be pulled before the synagogue, before rulers, before authorities, and they're going to ask you questions. And in that moment, the Spirit is going to give you the words to speak. As he's leaving this earth, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you'll be my witnesses in all of the world because of the filling and indwelling of the Spirit. He says, you're dependent on God. When you're discipling someone, are you a model of dependence? Do they look at you and go, man, you got everything you need? Or do they say, wow, there's a person as bankrupt as I am. They need God. In discipleship, we drill dependence. You'll hear daily bread coming out of my mouth a lot, as well as Kim. We would love to believe that we can take care of all of it for the next five years. Organization I'm involved with, they're into endowments, right? And I'm like, how do endowments match the command of Jesus for daily bread? Depending on him for the next moment and the next moment and the next moment. So the discipler focuses on God. The second part is the family. A how, does a, how does a disciple relate to the family? And by the family, I'm talking to the family sitting right here right now. The family of faith. Galatians 6, 9, Paul, beautiful verse. He says, don't get tired of doing good. It's just the right time. You will reap a harvest of blessing if you do not give up. I was talking to somebody this past week on text about being a part of a church for almost 30 years. And I'm like, can you imagine if I had left after 20 what I would have missed 
the moments I would have missed out on if I had left just a little bit sooner? To be able to be there long enough to see that harvest of righteousness if you do not give up. Then he says, therefore, whenever you have opportunity, do good to everyone, especially those in the family of faith. He says, especially to your brothers and sisters in Christ. Do good for them. So how does a disciple relate to the family? Hmm. Daily death to self. You don't look around the family and go, oh, look at all these business prospects sitting here. You don't look around the family and go, huh, let's see, he's got what I need. I know he can work on a car. I know that she can help me with this and kind of collect all. Relating to the family is daily death to self. It's servanthood. It's the Son of God pouring a bowl of water and washing the dirty feet he created. He could have easily said, Peter, get on your knees and wash these feet. The Son of God washed the feet of his disciples, and then he said, what? <laughs> if I did this, and I'm your teacher, and I'm the Lord, I'm better than you. What are you waiting for? Grab the bowl and serve. Serve, serve. I think too much of serving these days comes back to what I get out of the serve. Am I fulfilled? Am I blessed? Do I feel a sense of reward? How much reward do you think Jesus felt cleaning Judas's feet? At our old church, we had words on the wall. It's not about me. Watched a great speech this past week that talked about the way the, the, the philosophy of life of meism is destroying our world. We're so focused on me. We're so focused. Just drive. My goodness. <laughs> drive 80 or 55. We are so focused on me. It's destroying the world. You see, a true disciple, we die daily to self, and we teach others to do the same. How about the world? How does a disciple relate to the world? We are driven to deliver. We are driven driven, driven to deliver. To deliver the gospel to a lost world, to deliver people from the clutches of Satan. We are driven to deliver. We are driven to deliver the lost. Jesus said in John 17, as he's praying to God, you sent me into this world so I can send them, so I can send the disciples into this world. When he appears in the upper room, he says to his disciples, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am now sending you. The heart of the Father for the lost is given full expression in Luke 15. The lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. There's been an image on the internet a lot lately. And I see people, even our own people, posting it and commenting on it. And you can hear their hearts melt as they see this image. It's the image of this little lamp stuck in the mud. And Jesus running for everything he can to rescue that little lamb. I didn't realize it, but this artist actually did a series of images in this. He did the image of the one wandering away. I want you to think about this for a moment. You're a shepherd and you got 99 very good, obedient sheep over here. And you have one wandering. I don't know about you, but you know what I'm doing? Enjoy life, pork chop. <laughs> he runs. 
he runs. He doesn't want to see the one get lost. What you miss in the image of the Savior coming up on the lamb is the wolf that's about to devour that lamb. The savage Satan, the lion seeking whom he may devour, the wolf in sheep's clothing, rescuing him from the condition he deserves. The stupid little lamb wandered away. He deserves this, right? The shepherd will have nothing of it. And then there he is stuck in the mud, and the shepherd bows down in the mud to clean off the lamb and to carry the lamb. A lot going on behind that image. A lot going on behind that image. A lot going on in Luke 15. You know Luke 15 starts this way? Now the tax collectors and sinners, the scummy people that nobody else wanted to have there, the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to Jesus and the Pharisees and the scribes, the religious people that everybody wanted there, started grumbling, saying, this man eats with the scum. This man eats with sinners that deserve hell. This man eats with sinners that deserve exactly what they have come into him. Little sheep, you wandered away. You should be eaten by a wolf. You get what you deserve. And Jesus goes on to give these stories of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son to say, this is what the heart of the Father looks like. The heart of the Father is given full expression in Luke 15. And the question that comes back to us is those who claim to be disciples are, does all that breaks the Father's heart break my heart as well? I have to admit, I'm sorry, I'm a scummy sinner. I have to admit there are people I look at in my world and I go, they deserve it. And my heart should be crying for them. It should be crying for them. I got to admit, it's none of you, don't worry. <laughs> it's national figures. It's people I don't see all the time. It's people for whom I think God invented lightning. Why doesn't he use it? <laughs> it should break my heart. I shouldn't be saying, what are you saving the bolts for? It should break my heart. The threefold focus of the disciple maker, the world, we are driven to deliver. How do we make disciples? How do we make them? We make them through time, talk, and walk. You can't make disciples if you're not with them. You can't make disciples if you're not teaching them, but you can't make disciples if you're saying, that's what the book says, but I'm going to do something else. Just follow Jesus. I got something else. I got my own agenda. You know what Paul said in, in 1 Corinthians 11.1? 1? Incredibly intimidating verse. And you should imitate me just like I imitate Christ. You should follow my example just like I follow the example of Christ. You should be imitators of me just like I am an imitator of Christ. You should watch the way I treat Kim and say that's the way God would treat Kim. Not just giving a great lesson from 1 Corinthians chapter 7 on marriage. How do I treat my wife? You should be able to look at those things and say that's how God would treat a spouse. Not just hearing my words, but watching my life. That is intimidating. And you find yourself using a word a lot, a phrase. I'm sorry. 
I messed up. Help me. Threefold focus. We model dependence on God. We model daily death to self by serving. And we model God's heart for the lost. And so I have two questions for you today. How am I growing as a disciple? How am I growing in relationship to God, in relationship to the family, in relationship to the world? How am I growing as a disciple? And then who am I growing as a disciple? Who do I have in my sphere of influence that Jesus is rubbing off on them? Disciples were literally called little Christ. That's what Christian means, little Christ. Are you a little Christ enough that people are seeing that's what Jesus looks like? I'll do the same. That's part of what's under the Southfield hood. Well, we'll learn more next week. So we're going to end with communion. And let me put the three up there. Do I model dependence? Do I model daily death? So many of us talk self-care. Look, for, look at the Bible for self-care. Daily death. Do I model God's heart? To seek and to save those who are lost. We have tables at the front and the back, gluten-free on either side of the platform. Talk to God about these questions as we go to communion. The way of Jesus is a way of difficulty. Not going to lie. And yet somehow, even though it's a way of difficulty, he's able to say, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now take it on you. So as you leave this place today, I hope you won't go, great sermon, see you next week. Well, you will take these probing questions with you. Do I model dependence? Do people know, especially those I'm discipling, do people know, apart from him, I can do nothing? Do people not just hear me talk serve, but see serve. When's the last time you served your wife? Really served her? When's the last time you served your child? More than just driving them from place to place, and believe me, I know that's serving, but when's the last time you really served your child? When's the last time you served a member of the family of God? Some of you this week, i got to say thank you. I, I, I cook at our house, so I think overall we have pretty good food. The stuff you brought has been way better. Do we serve? And does our heart break that even people that we find loathsome and disgusting are going to hell? And we see them not as loathsome as disgusting, but captives of the enemy about to be devoured by a wolf in sheep's clothing. Father God in heaven, don't let us leave this lesson in this room. Let us take it up and carry it with us. Shouldering that cross daily, looking like Jesus, so that others can look and see what Jesus looks like. We love you, Jesus. Amen. So one of the things that will be a little different for a few weeks is I won't be at the door on the way in and the way out. I hope you understand. i got to let my wing heal. So 
Love you. See you later.